The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Uh, Will you pray with me? Um, Dear Heavenly Father God, um, as we enter into this time of just getting into your word and just um, studying what you have to say here in the text, Lord, I pray that you would just quiet our hearts, Lord, that we would um, just sit and be humble and open to however you want to lead, Lord, that we'd be open to the moving of your spirit, Lord, that you would speak into us a word, Lord, that just um, inspires us, Lord, to live for you, God. Um, We ask that you be with us in this time. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Allie. Good to see all of you today. I've got a question for you as we begin. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, as you just heard. And let me ask you this question. Do you swear? I don't mean cursing. I mean, obviously, nobody in here does that, right? <laughs> sure that uh, that's never happened, except when you're putting on Christmas tree lights. That <laughs> creates a problem. <clears throat> My wife doesn't let me do it anymore, <laughs> which I'm glad about. I don't mean cursing, of course, but I mean, did you ever say, cross my heart and hope to die as a kid, stick a needle in my eye, right? Look the devil in the eye. There's a whole bunch of verses to that. And, uh, or do you ever swear on your mother's grave? I've heard people do that whose mothers are not dead. What does that mean? Uh, or a lot of people say, I swear to God. And what do you mean by that? What are you saying? Well, there's a lot of different levels of severity when people are saying, and a lot of times when we say it in our culture, we're not saying it in some kind of serious way, or sometimes we're just trying to really say, no, I really mean it. Well, what our passage today is about is really meaning it. And the problem that Jesus is addressing in the culture of that day is that there was a practice from the people of taking an oath but putting an asterisk by it. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to a culture that had a problem with integrity. Like everybody does, sometimes you have a problem with integrity, but what was happening is it was becoming part of the culture, and it was even becoming part of the religious law and the religious excuse. Like there were religious excuses being made for when you have to be, have integrity with your vow and when you don't. And that's a pretty serious thing. It was a culture that was always looking for ways around the law to keep the letter of the law, but not the spirit of it. And this had become acceptable to some people religiously. It's like when a kid says they're going to do something, but they have their fingers crossed. My youngest is seven, and he's picked this up somewhere. Go brush your teeth. She comes back down, did you brush your teeth? No, I had my fingers crossed. (laughs) You not believe how many times I've had to stick my nose in that kid's mouth just to find out if he's telling the truth. For some reason, he hasn't figured out how to cheat, but he goes back up and brushes his teeth. I don't know where the fingers crossed thing, but it's the idea that says, oh, if I do this, then my, my promise to go brush my teeth doesn't matter. What we have in this story is adults who are doing this with their vows, and they're trying to find ways to make an oath, but they don't have to really mean it. And sometimes they're being deceptive, and sometimes they're overcommitting. There's all kinds of different reasons why that happens, and and you and I have struggled with that at different times. But what they're looking at specifically is to get permission to get out of whatever it is that they're saying. 
And they're doing that in business, they're doing that in relationships, and it was affecting the entire culture as it does. So as strange as this passage might seem to be a little bit, we're going to talk about this because I think you'll find it very relevant for today. We're going to talk about the meaning of oaths, the impact of our oaths, and the consequences of our oaths. And maybe you don't realize that you're giving oaths, but every time you say you will do something, every time you sign a contract, every time you just click, yes, I agree to that 400-page thing that you have to click on when you go to a website, you're promising something. Well, the people of Israel had been commanded to make oaths in the divine name. So it's an interesting thing here where Jesus says, don't make oaths, when they're going, well, wait a minute, our, our law commands us to make oaths. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, fear the Lord your God, serve Him only, and take your oaths in His name. In Matthew 5.33, though, Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. And he's probably quoting Leviticus 19.12 there. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. In the Old Testament, the idea in the law was you make your oaths to God. And it was on purpose because it was a reminder to God's people that when you make a promise, you need to keep it. And you need to keep it as if you've made that promise to God that you're really making a promise to God when you make a business agreement or when you promise somebody something. So you make that oath to God. It's a reminder to yourself, and that was part of things. But Israel, by this time, had developed a habit of giving oaths that were not in the divine name. The idea is if I say, oh, I swear to God, well, then maybe I have to do it. But if I say I swear to something else, something a little bit lower, with less meaning or less seriousness, maybe I can get away with not really doing it. So Jesus answers this in verse 34. He says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or for it is God's throne or by the earth for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head for you cannot make even one hair white or black. They didn't have hair dye back then, but God knows those of you out there who use that. He knows. By heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or by the hair of your head. What they're doing is lowering the bar for the standard of truthfulness. It's an oath with an asterisk. You could get out of it. It's saying something with your fingers crossed. And if you don't want to swear by God, it's because you don't, there's nothing higher and you don't think you can get away with it. So they changed it. Well, Jesus is making commentary here on the law of Moses and the prophets and what it actually means. And we keep hearing, hearing this statement. You have heard it said, because they knew what the laws were. They knew that things had been taught before. But then Jesus explains what it really means. And it's not something that he's changing. He's not changing the law. He's, he's bringing people back to the spirit of what it meant in the first place. He's reminding people what it was and why God gave those rules in the first place. And he's saying this, when it comes to making oaths, God's people do not have to make oaths to make their word binding because our words need to be binding simply because we say them. And there's a reason for that. He's bringing people back to the reason for the law. And we've heard this already. It's not just don't murder people, but don't hate them and don't harm them, we learned. It's not just don't commit adultery, but we're also to remain pure even in our thoughts that the spirit of the law is much bigger than just one particular action. And the same is true with our oaths. And here's why. Any oath that you give is conditional on God if you're one of God's people. That's what he's saying. See, if you swear on heaven, as people were prone to do, well, that's the throne of God. And if you swear on the earth, that's God's footstool where he rules. He's quoting from Isaiah 66.1. says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. 
You see, it's all gods. And Jesus is making a point that you people already know because you've got Leviticus and you've got Deuteronomy, but you also got the prophets Isaiah who explained this before. And if you swear by Jerusalem, people would say, well, that's God's too. It's the city of the great king where the Messiah will rule, Psalm 48, 2. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth like the heights of Zaphron is Mount Zion, the city of the great king, meaning the city of the Messiah. It's all about him anyway. And even on your own head, you can't make one hair black or white. Only God knows what's going on there. He knows that you're dyeing your hair if you're doing it. And he knows what's going on. You see, the saddest part is that this isn't a kid's game. This is something that people were doing in business and in their real life. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, had actually made rules about this. They had some rules about oaths which you could keep and which ones you didn't have to keep. Could you imagine if you come to church here and, and I'm telling you, you know, when you promise this you know, to uh, your bank, you don't really have to keep it. If you, if you promise this over here, you have to keep that one to, uh, to the contractor who comes to your house. But if you are a contractor, you don't have to keep anything. Imagine if we just sort of made rules like that. Well, that's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were doing. Jesus responds directly to it in Matthew 23 in verse 16. He says, woe to you, blind guides. You don't really want Jesus to say woe to you. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. See, they had made a rule. If you swear by the temple, eh, that doesn't mean anything. If I swear by the gold in the temple, well, you got to keep that oath. And that's what they were doing with people's statements. They were giving people ways out and ways to swear about this or not that. It was crazy. But this is what was going on with the rules. Verse 18, he says, you also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, he says, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and every, by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one, uh, and by the one who sits on it. Apparently, that was a thing, to swear by heaven, to swear by God's throne. That was what people said. That was in the, and he's saying, hey, if you say any of that, you're just swearing to God. It's not any different. It's not, you're not taking things out. You're swearing to God by swearing on anything. And here's the deal. What he's saying is we don't need a severity of an oath because we understand something. We understand the sovereignty of God and everything is his anyway. And so we don't make oaths about anything because it's all the Lord's and every commitment we make is an oath to the Lord. See, this is what Jesus is saying. He said, don't make an oath at all then because everything you say is an oath to the Lord. You don't even have to say, I swear upon the Lord. Everything that you commit to do is a promise to God. That's a pretty strong statement. And you see, for Jesus' people, it's important. He's teaching this because he wants to clarify it, that for Jesus' people, the people of the king, we are to be trustworthy, good to the, our word always, not just if we happen to swear the right way, not even if we just happen to sign the right contract, but we make a handshake agreement. We need to be good to our word. And this needs to be our reputation. It's important for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of impact that our oaths have, our promises. Our word is important because the fact of the matter is that civilization depends on it. Did you realize this? Civilization matters and it requires us to trust each other's word. We have to cooperate. We have to rely on others, often in extremely important matters. When we depend people to, on people to work for us, we depend on them to show up. We hire them. We want them to show up and actually be there. 
and we expect our employers to actually provide work for us to do and provide a paycheck for doing it. And we are required to pay for the goods that we receive and to be paid a salary for when we work, with, work for them. All of those things make society work. Society doesn't work when we don't maintain this arrangement. Commerce demands trade and trade demands fidelity. It demands people keeping their word and keeping their contracts. Civilization as we know it everywhere cannot exist without human beings being faithful to what they have promised. If you go to your bank and you give them your money, they say they will keep your money and they might even pay you interest, a whole quarter of a percent these days. <clears throat> we can put it in those online banks, you know, if they're banks. You know, they, don't, they say they're backed by the FDIC. That's Frank, Don, Izzy, and Carl, the four IT guys running the thing <laughs> in their garage. <clears throat> But still, you make a commitment, and they say, we're going to pay you 1% for your money. Okay. Well, you have to trust that that's real. You have to trust that at the end of every month, you're going to get 1%. And you're going to have to trust them that they're going to take your money, and they're going to invest it somewhere where they're going to make 2% so they can pay you the 1%. And if they're making bad deals, then you're not going to get paid eventually. And Frank, Don, Izzy, and Carl are out of a job, and you're out of your money. We had that happen 10 years ago, right, when the banking collapse. All that stuff happened because they were making bad deals, and it almost collapsed the entire world economy. Being true to your word, it matters. It matters for everything in society. It's more than just those things. Military, you take an oath to defend against enemies, foreign and domestic. It's why we, by the way, have a noticeable response when we meet people in our church or at the airport or shopping who are in the military. We kind of look up to them and we say, hey, you know what? I'm glad that you're here. We sometimes feel motivated to say thank you. Why? Because we trust them to defend us. And they've taken that oath and we trust that they're going to keep it. And there is so much trust that is necessary for them in the chain of command between society and the military. And that's a blessing for us in our society because some countries don't have that. Some countries you see somebody in the military and you're full of fear because you don't know that you can trust them to protect you. They might rob you. We went to El Salvador on a mission trip a few years ago. I don't remember if I told this story, but our bus driver at the airport ran over one of those big orange cones, and for some reason that was a horrible offense, and we got pulled over, and we were just sitting in this bus for I don't remember how long. It seemed like forever while he's getting questioned by this police officer, and then suddenly the sun goes down. Not suddenly. It happened over time like normal. <laughs> sun goes down. And the officers have us pull over underneath a dark tree off the road where nobody is. And we're thinking, we're going to get shot in the head. What in the world is going on here? We could not trust these officers. The craziest thing was we went down there on a mission trip to bring Bibles. We had crates full of Bibles. He wanted to know what we had. And we had to bribe him with Bibles. Turned out the guy was so excited that you had Bibles, he was like, can I have some of those? We can't get some of those down here. You want Bibles? you got plenty of Bibles. Well, let us go. It was a great moment on that trip turned out. Probably what he did was illegal, but you know. Education. You have to trust things in education. Five or six, seven years to get your bachelor's degree. What is it today? How long does it take? I don't know. But at some point, yeah, higher than that, seven or eight. <clears throat> at some point, you have to trust that your school that you're paying money to is going to provide the classes that they're going to give you instruction, and they tell you that if you get good enough grades, they will provide you, they will graduate you, and you will get a degree, and they will make sure that, that they can prove that you have a degree to any employer or anybody ever else in your life who asks for it. And you have to trust that that happens. 
And it's a tragedy when suddenly your school goes out of business and you find out you don't have any credits. Courts, they're only effective when there is truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. You gotta say that before you sit on the, on the bench. They make everybody say that. There's now a thing that if, you, that if you are offended by saying that, you can say something else, whatever. And people always look at you like, huh. But you gotta tell the truth. And the thing is, is if you sit on that witness stand and you do not tell the truth, even though you weren't the one being charged with a crime, you're gonna be charged with a crime. It's called perjury. And it becomes a big deal because you telling the truth on that stand matters for all of the entire justice system. If we are not telling the truth as witnesses on that stand, the justice system falls apart. Society cannot continue without a proper telling of the facts. You cannot have justice without the truth. It matters. Commerce, business, military, education, courts, you have to be able to take responsibility for what you say and do. It's a big deal. Sometimes when you talk to people who are a lot older, and maybe this happens in any generation because we always kind of look at the past as maybe a little bit better, and sometimes maybe it was, sometimes it's just how we remember it. But if you talk to some of our older folks here and you ask them something, I'll bet some of them will say this, you know, I, look, I remember the good old days when a person's word was their bond, people say. And it was different at a different time. There were a lot more handshake agreements and a lot less lawsuits. Things were different. Back then, you even trusted the media. Can you imagine? In the 1960s and the 1970s, who was the most trusted man in America? Walter Cronkite, the anchor for the CBS News. Can you believe that? He would end every broadcast, and he would say, and that's the way it is. And you believed him. And you believed that every word out of his mouth informed you about what was going on in the world, and nobody said, that's fake news. You believed him. Not today. Who do we trust in the media today? Nobody. I can think of a person. There's probably a reporter here and there. There's people who I know who are like local reporters. I think they do a good job. There's some journalists out there. But there's no Walter Cronkite attitude. Now we have fact-checking services, right, that fact-check what the politicians say, and they fact-check what the news broadcasts say on Fox and MSNBC and CNN and whoever else. And the thing that's crazy is now we have fact-checkers for the fact-checkers because you can't even trust the fact-checkers because they get biased and political in their things. It's bad when people do not have integrity with what they say. You see, this thing about integrity, it's not just about you and your relationships. It impacts the entire community, the entire country. Often, the most frustrating part of our lives is when somebody proves to be unfaithful. A business, in a marriage, in a military, news, family, whatever it is, church, anywhere, any part of life. That's some of the hardest things to deal with. It's so serious that much of our legal system, the cost of our justice system, is based upon assigning guilt to people who violated a contract or their oath in a relationship with somebody else. And there's tremendous pain and suffering simply because people don't keep their word. And there are countries today where truthfulness is not a great issue, and it's scary to be there, and it's a scary trend we have in our country, where truth and justice do not prevail, where might makes right in some countries. People are concerned today about the coronavirus. Let me ask you something. Are you more concerned about getting the coronavirus, or are you more concerned that maybe they're not telling us the whole story about the coronavirus? 
That's what I hear more about. People in the city of Corona are upset that they're calling it the coronavirus. <laughs> and you think about this, are people really eating raw bats? I mean, human beings have known how to cook food for thousands of years. Where did this come from? And even if they are telling the truth, we have reason to doubt. God's people are to be the pillar and foundations of society because they are good to their word. That needs to be something for all of us as believers. And it's hard because sometimes we overcommit. We think we're being truthful and we overcommit. We don't want to say no, so we say yes to things we shouldn't say. And sometimes we're just deceptive, or sometimes we don't want someone else to get that contract, so we say yes, even though we have no idea if we can really even do it. Well, we need to commit, and we need to pay for our obligations when we make them. The Bible is full, I'm going to give you a bunch of verses of statements about this, because it is so important in how it represents God to the culture, and how it makes the culture even work. Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. To borrow and not repay makes you a thief, right? A bunch of you in the Dave Ramsey class, good for you. I was in debt tremendously once myself. I got a terrible story about that. Out of debt now, it's the greatest thing ever. But to not pay it, it's not good. Instead, we're supposed to be generous. One of the things they'll teach you in that Dave Ramsey class if they haven't got there yet is you can't just get out of debt. You also have to become generous because you have to replace one bad habit with a, new, with a better one. So you've got a bad habit of going into debt the new thing is pay off your debt, but also be generous and give money away. And that seems like a strange thing to do. It's like, well, I want to get out of debt faster. I should just give all of my money to the debt. No, because you want to develop the better behavior. Because if you don't do that, you'll pay off your debt, you'll feel really good, and then suddenly you know what you have? Great credit. You go out and get more credit cards, and you blow it because you haven't changed the habit, the behavior. You be generous. Proverbs 3.28, don't say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. You ever do that? I heard a story about a guy who had, he owed his friend $50. He said he always had it with him all the time. He just never paid it to him. And then one time they got mugged at knife point. Give me all your money. And he said, okay, just a minute. Bob, here's the $50 I owe you. <laughs> I don't think that counts, right? Pay your debts on time. Proverbs 10, 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, are, so are the sluggards to those who send them. The idea is that, man, when we rely on somebody to do a job and they don't, we just want to talk like this. I can't believe that guy. I hired that guy to do that. Ugh. We never want people to talk about us that way. Proverbs 26, 6, sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. That's drastic, but that is how we feel. It's so frustrating when people don't follow through. And you know why it happens to a lot of us is we overcommit. We say yes and what we really mean is maybe. What we really mean is, well, let me check it out. Well, let me look at my calendar. Well, let me see if I can do that. Or sometimes we just mean no, and we say yes for some reason. I'm an expert at this. I struggle with that. I'm going to tell you that. I say yes to far too many things. Will you do this for me, Pastor? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. I haven't looked at my calendar. Sometimes I even can't. Most of the time, I'm just overcommitting. I think to myself, yeah, I got time for that, and I do have time for that if I don't fulfill this other commitment, or if I don't stay home with my family in that commitment, and I miss out on seeing my kids, or I miss out on this, or I, and suddenly I'm just in the weeds so badly in some things. You ever find yourself in that kind of trouble? It's rough. And inevitably, you will not keep all of your commitments, and you will let somebody down, and they will talk about you like this. 
Pastor Scott said, and they're going to be right. And that feels awful. See, when Jesus wants to make it simple, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't commit to things that you can't do. Don't be deceptive about things. Say no to stuff. It's hard. I think that sometimes for me, I say yes to stuff because I don't want to disappoint somebody and say no. If I say no, they're going to be disappointed, so I'll say yes. But they're not half as disappointed as when I screw it up later. Then they're really disappointed in me. I should have said no. See how wise Jesus is? Jesus is right about everything. James chapter 5, verse 4 Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. See, all throughout the Bible, following up with what we say we're going to do is a big deal for God's people, to pay the people who have worked for us and to pay them on time, to pay our debts, to fulfill our obligation when we make them. See, and the idea is that we're not just defending those people. The cries of the harvesters have been heard by the ears of the Lord. It's between us and the Lord. This is why we have this commandment, by the way. The Ten Commandments, you've heard of those. One of them is don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Somehow that gets taught like don't curse, but there are plenty of other verses for that. It's not about cursing. It's about bringing down the name of God because of your activity. It's about making an oath where you invoke God's name, where you make an oath as a believer, and then you don't fulfill it. Or you say that God said something that he didn't to somebody, Oh, God's telling me this, or God, is, God wants to do this in your life, but God really hasn't said that. What you're doing is you're taking the Lord's name in vain. It's like when, a, when my kids come to me and say, Mommy says we can play video games, and I say, okay, when Mommy actually said no. They took her name in vain. She does not like it, and neither does God. So I don't say anything when my kids ask me questions. I just say, what does your mother say? <laughs> Keeps me out of a lot of trouble. It's a great thing. Can we play video games? What did your mother say? Can we have dinner? We're starving. What did your mother say? You know? <laughs> Can I have a band-aid? I cut my finger off. What did your mother say? <laughs> the, idea of, <laughs> the idea of taking the Lord's name in vain is God is going to get the blame somehow in that person for you not keeping your word. See, it's kind of a big deal when we represent Christ in the things that we're doing. See, there's a consequence to our oaths too. It's about our reputation, our own, yes, but also about God's. Jesus finishes and he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. James, Jesus' brother, they must have had an issue at home as a kid because he would repeat this. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, James says. And why does Jesus say from the evil one? He took it right there. It's because our yeses and our noes impact our reputation and they impact God's reputation because we are his representatives and his children. If you are a parent and your kid doesn't do their homework or they don't show up for baseball practice or they don't pay for something, you as a parent are going to have to deal with that. And it even affects your reputation in the mind of the school, of the teacher, of the baseball coach. It does. Whether or not that's fair or not, it is what it is. It's the same with God and his children. And Jesus is teaching about the fidelity of God's people to their oath. And what he's saying is whenever you say yes to something, you're making an oath to do it. So do it. This is why we pay our debts. This is why we're to have fair dealings, to keep our contracts. Is God true to his word? You bet he is. And he asks us to do the same because there is great consequence to the mission that we've been given by God when we don't. 
I used to work for a, a company called uh, Kmart. Ever heard of that? We called it Kmart for a reason. And the Kmart manager where I got that job was a member of the church that I was a part of. And he decided it'd be a good idea to hire all the Christian kids out of the youth group, so he did. All, me and all my buddies, we got hired at Kmart. It was amazing. They all got fired for stealing. Every one of them, except me. But I got called into the manager's office, Bernie. It wasn't, not that Bernie. <laughs> this whole thing is rigged. He calls me in the office. He calls me in the office and he sits me down and he has this pained look on his face. And he says, I went to your youth group to hire you guys and we fired all of you for stealing. Are you going to steal from me? I felt terrible. The youth director, his name was Tim. Tim Wheeler. I still know him. He still tells stories, so I hope he never shows up here. <laughs> Tim was mortified that he had sent all these guys over to Kmart who all got fired, usually within a week or two, for stealing stuff. And my job at that Kmart involved a guy named Tom who was an old guy with a ball cap on who stared at me like this the whole time who was the store security. And all day long, he's watching me. Four months. Time to clean out my register. He's standing behind. I'll never forget. I see his hat, and I just see this much of him, and he's just glaring at me, just watching me. Meanwhile, all the other employees are just stuffing money in their pockets, and nobody's looking, but it was a rough time. Now, over time, because I didn't steal anything, they eventually liked me. They even put me on the security team, and I got to glare at other people. <laughs> but see, it even hurt my reputation, and I wasn't doing it. It hurt the youth director's reputation, the church's reputation. It made the manager wonder if he should even be part of that church. Matters. We need to be people of integrity. The consequences of our actions are well beyond just us, and it impacts the gospel message. When Christians have integrity, it matters everywhere. You may have no idea that the person that you're cheating in business might show up to church here one day, and they're going to look at you and go, oh, it happens. What our reputation needs to be is this. It needs to be so full of integrity that even people who aren't believers, they do seek out to hire us like that Kmart manager did. And they say, I don't know about these Christians and that Jesus stuff, but they sure are honest. I want to hire them. I don't know about Jesus, that guy's Jesus, but I hope that my daughter marries one of those Christian guys because of the way he treats her. I don't know about your Jesus, you know, and how that works out, but I sure want to hire you to do my taxes because i got to trust somebody. I don't know about Jesus, but that mechanic says he's a Christian, and I'm clueless when I open the hood. I need somebody I can trust. That should be our reputation, and it is in a lot of ways, but sometimes we lose that, and Jesus is talking about that. In the book of Titus, Titus talks about our good deeds and how they impact the church. He says, talks about our good deeds seven times in a short book. And he talks about slaves or bond servants in one passage. Back then, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That's how the economy operated. It's different than American slavery. Bond servant is maybe a better word there. But still, people were enslaved to this. Most of the church, the early church, were a part of that group. 
Titus 2.9, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We have something amazing. We have the gospel. We have a message that says to the world that God loves you so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And your lies and your dishonesty and you're not keeping your oath, it's been nailed to that cross. And the guilt that you carry with you on those kinds of things, Jesus took care of that. He loves you anyway. He knew about it and died for you anyway. It's a great message because everybody wants grace. And we have a message of grace. This morning I was having a conversation about that. And, you know, there's so many people who aren't believers. Maybe you're not a believer and you're here checking us out and you're saying, gosh, I hope that's true or I wish that that were true. What he says about grace, that God would just love me for who I am that Jesus died for me. So often people don't come to faith in Jesus because they feel like they've done something that's unforgivable. That's why Jesus had to die. Some of us have done terrible things, but he died in our place. And everything is forgivable and everything was taken care of on the cross. And Jesus invites you into his family. We have this great message and Jesus' concern is don't cloud it up with false promises or schemes And when you work somewhere, don't pilfer stuff. Don't embezzle. Your workplace materials should not be in your garage. We should show good faith in all that we do. Show up to work on time. Don't call in sick if you're not sick. Don't go on disability if you're not disabled. Pay what you owe in taxes. He says, adorn the doctrine. The word for adorn there is cosmeo. It's where we get the word cosmetics. The idea is if you're putting on makeup, some of you do. There's a method to it. You don't just slop it all on there, most of you. There's a method to it, and you want to have a balance. That's why there are all those chairs in Nordstrom. Walk into Nordstrom at the mall. There are 50 seats that you can sit down, and someone will paint your face, and they will teach you how to make yourself look good. They will put cosmetics on your face. They do it for men, too, by the way. They'll scrape everything off of your face, and they'll make you look great. Why? Because they want you to look the way you should look. You're being adorned. And Jesus says this, or the word Titus is telling us this, that we adorn the gospel. We like putting cosmetics on. We make ourselves look great. Not fake, but ordered, balanced, and beautiful. And there's a method to it. And the method for us is to be trustworthy in our life in our jobs, in our marriages, in all of our contracts. We should be the moral standard in our culture. And when we do, we adorn the doctrine. We make it look exactly as it should be. And that way, as a result, when we speak the gospel to people, they look and they say, how pretty is that? How attractive is that? And we have a great message that we can say, I don't always look this way, but when the Lord looks at me, he sees no flaw because I have been forgiven. We all have got flaws. But when we adorn the gospel, we let people know that Jesus' righteousness is yours for free by faith. And that is a great message. There are so many people hurting, hurting because their marital commitments weren't kept. They didn't keep them, somebody else didn't keep them. Their business arrangement wasn't kept, or they didn't do it and they got caught, or they didn't do it, they didn't get caught, but they're guilty inside and they know. Or somebody's been cheated, somebody's been wronged, There's so much hurt. And we have the answer for that. It's the gospel. That there's a mission for our life. 
So here's what we can take away. I think it means a lot of things for us in different ways. Just say yes or no. And when you say yes, fulfill your obligation. You don't have to promise everything. Just do what you can do and finish what you start. If you sign a contract, complete it. If you take a job, do it well. And if you're late or something happens, do it anyway. If you lose credit for an assignment in school because you, were, you turned it in too late, finish it anyway and turn it in. The professor says, well, you're going to get a zero. I know, but I finished the work. You know how important that is for the way that professor sees you? Why would you do that? Sometimes they'll say. Well, because uh, when I promised to do my homework assignment, I wasn't making a promise to you, professor. I was making it to Jesus. And he wants me to finish. It's an amazing thing to finish what we start, to let our yes be yes. You might be saying, well, I've really messed up a lot here, and we all have. I have. And we will again. And sometimes it's just much better to say no. Try to learn some boundaries in your life and don't commit to things that you don't know that you can do. And when you say no, or somebody tells you no, don't go crazy about it. Sometimes people need to say no. That's good for them to say no. They have to have a balance in their life. Let them say no. Whenever we mess up, admit our failings. Admit your failings and make things right if possible. Just do it. Even if you've really disappointed somebody, even if you are super deceptive in the reason you said yes and didn't complete it, say, I was super deceptive and I'm sorry. It might take a while to rebuild your reputation, but it's a start. And do it. And lastly, give grace to those who have failed you. All of us want grace when we mess up, but sometimes it's really hard to give other people grace when they do. Give people grace, even if they lied to you. You call them on it, you lied to me. And you might have to have an arrangement with them where you trust but verify, but you build that up. And have grace the same way that Jesus has grace for us. We're all gonna fail at this, but Jesus took care of it on the cross already. So we have something to put forward in our mission. When God promised to send his son, he didn't ask you to be perfect first. He gave you grace for your deceptions, for your overcommittals, for your laziness, for whatever it is. And his death and resurrection makes you right with him. And then it gives you a mission to help others have the same thing because everybody you know needs that grace. So give grace to people who fail you, the same grace that Jesus gave when you failed him. And they might have an excuse or a reason, and you might accept it, or you might just think it's lame. But give grace anyway. Jesus loves us this way. I bet we've all given Jesus a bunch of lame excuses for our sins. Imagine the look on his face. And imagine how great it is when you know that he knows that you know how lame your excuse was, and he gives you grace anyway. That's Jesus, that's gospel, that's who we need to be. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that we would be concerned about the things that you are concerned about. That our chief concerns in this life would be about your gospel, about other people knowing who you are, knowing the grace that you have had. 
that we would be so full of joy for the grace that you have had for each one of us with all of our failings that we would not be able to help giving it to other people and showing people your glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would recognize that in every part of our life, we have opportunities to reflect your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would help us do that with our integrity, with the promises that we make people, with the contracts that we sign, with the business that we do in our marriages, in our homes, in whatever, in our churches, in whatever relationship we have. God, I pray that we do that not for our own glory or for our own benefit, but for yours so that more people would know the love of Jesus Christ, that more people would know his gospel and your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. We pray, Lord, that today we are changed from how we came. I pray, Lord, that we are inspired by your keeping your word in every possible way. And we ask, Lord, for supernatural help to help us do that through your spirit. We thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.